Welcome to the Freedom House Church Weekend Message. Today, you'll be hearing an exciting message from a communicator on our teaching team. Whether you're just waking up, on your way to work, or going for a relaxing evening walk, we know this message will equip you to experience Christ's freedom today and every day. So enjoy. so good to be with you today. My name is Penny Maxwell. Uh, My husband and I are the senior pastors here. Uh, He's actually at our Lake Norman campus speaking today. Uh, And then Pastor Diana is at our South End campus speaking. So I get to be here with you and all of you that are live streaming from all over the world. I see Florida, North Carolina, New York, Georgia, South Carolina, Maryland, South Dakota, that's SD, yeah, Uh, Vermont, Kansas, Virginia, Illinois, so welcome to all of you. So glad you are joining us today, because this has been an interesting series that we've been in, Stranger Stories. How many of you actually watched the series Stranger Things? It's really good, actually. I'm not a sci-fi person, but I actually really am enjoyed it. So this is kind of our take. We thought, let's do a whole thing on strange stories of the Bible, bizarre things that are in the Bible that just make you wonder why they are even in there. If there's any meaning, if there's any purpose, I mean, why does it say that in the first place? And I think sometimes what we do when we get to certain passages, we just kind of like skip over it because it doesn't really make sense or we don't really understand it. Um, But we're not going to do that today. Today we're going to dive in and we're going to dig in and we're going to talk about stories of the Bible that most people ignore or don't even want to talk about and figure out why they're in there. How many of you have ever been reading through uh, Song of Solomon and you just kind of like, oh man, like why? Why did they have to put that in the Bible? Why are those things in there? Is there a reason? Is there a purpose? Some stories may seem random and strange, but are they really? Are they really? Mark 4.11 says, and this is Jesus talking, he says, To you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but those who are outside get everything in parables. In other words, what Jesus is saying is different people understand things differently. So all throughout the Bible, you see things like parables, which are just telling of stories. 
and then you see real-time examples, and then you see object lessons. You see all of these things in the Bible because different things relate to different people. And so Colossians 1.26 says this. It says, The mysteries which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but now has been manifested to his saints. In other words, everything that may not have been understood or uncovered, now we have the opportunity to understand and to uncover. And so that's what we're going to do today. As a matter of fact, I want you to understand the Bible is more than just perfume. It is real and raw and shocking. It is the best story you will ever read because it's true. And there are things that sometimes will curl your toes. You think, why in the world is that even in there? What a great, the best book. This is the, the most sold book in the entire history of the world. We've got the greatest book. So let's understand when we're reading it what things mean. Let's break it down. In 2 uh, Timothy chapter 3, it says this. It says, all scripture is given. What's that word? All, not just the parts we like and not just the parts we understand, but all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Even some of the weird things we're going to talk about today, absolutely. And it is profitable for what? What is the scripture we're going to read today profitable for? First for doctrine, then for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, why? So that the man of God may be perfect or mature and thoroughly furnished unto all good works. In other words, the Bible is to help grow us up, teach us, train us, develop us, and, and give us a faith. You know, with the way that things are going in the world right now, we've got to make sure we're getting back to our Bible because the culture of current would want to pull you away. But if we want to know what truth is, we go back to the Word of God. So the first thing I would ask you to do as we jump into uh, this, this message today is I know that as we've been in this series, each person that has spoken, because we have a teaching team, we have live teachers and speakers at all of our campuses. We are not a video venue. We have real live teachers and preachers. So each person that is speaking is bringing to you um, their message that God gave them to write. And so each week you've heard somebody take a really weird scripture and break it down. Well, what I decided to do is put up on Instagram, what are the weird things that you want to know about the stories of the Bible that just really make you go, hmm, or things that you want to skip over, things that you would never, ever discuss or talk about. And I said, tell me what those things are because I want to talk about them. Well, I got so many good ones that I couldn't choose. So I thought what we would do today is a, a round robin. I would just like go through a bunch of different ones. And let me just tell you, if this is your first time at Freedom House, some of the things you might hear may make you feel a little uncomfortable, but it's in the Bible. And you guys are the ones that picked the things I'm talking about today. So if you're going, why in the world is she talking about that? Just know that you did it. 
You're the one that asked for these strange stories. And so it's very apropos that during the month of October, we're talking about strange stories, or very apropos for this year, because this has been a strange year. Anybody with me on that? So, just wanted that disclaimer out there before y'all look at me weird and strange, or you go tell my husband that I said certain words from this platform. Because you asked for it. All right, you ready to dive into this? Why are these things in the Bible? Is there any meaning? Is there any purpose? The first thing that I'm going to do is I'm actually going to, when I'm walking through these, and hopefully I'll have time to get through all of them, but I'm going to tell you my synopsis of the story, and then I'm going to go into the story. So the first one is you asked for 100 foreskins. Here's 200. I hope that's okay. Yes, I said foreskins in church. Never before have I done that. But here is King David. And King David wants to marry Saul's daughter, Michal. And he is, he is not so much favored by King Saul because at this point, King Saul is under the influence of demonic spirits, right? So he, he asks if he can marry his daughter, King Saul's daughter, and King Saul had done everything he could to try to get rid of and to kill David. He was very jealous of David because David had taken down um, the Philistine, which was uh, Goliath, had taken him down. And everyone started singing, well, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And Saul got very jealous. He was a very insecure man. So when he wanted to marry his daughter, he said, okay, well, here's the price for for my daughter, a hundred foreskins. And I want them from the Philistines. Why would he do such a thing? Why would he ask for that? It was typical to ask for the head of an enemy and you would bring the head. But here he is and he has to go over into the land of the Philistines. Now how many of you know that in order to uh, get what he was required, that has to require some proximity? Y'all understand that? Okay. So he had to get in proximity to at least 100 enemies. What in the world is the purpose of him bringing back foreskins? Let's take a closer look. Let's figure out if there's actually some meaning here. Because Saul was so insecure and so jealous, he gave him this task hoping that because he was in proximity of his enemies that he would easily be annihilated and killed. Interesting how later David kind of does that with Bathsheba's husband, right? But in this scenario, he's hoping that David will actually get killed and then nobody could say that he did it. And then David, when he's out here battling the Philistines... Typically, what you would do is you would bring the enemy's head back. But in this scenario, he asked for a hundred, thinking that, oh, I can surely, I can surely have him killed if he needs to defeat a hundred enemies. So he wanted to bring something simple. Now, most of us in our culture and our understanding, we don't understand why a foreskin. And I, it's, it's still even weird for me to say the word while I'm preaching all over the world right now. But 
Here's the thing I want you to do is when you're reading the Bible, see a lot of us read the Bible and we read it like Westerners. We don't read the Bible like a Hebrew the way it was written. Let me give you an example. If you can think about this, think about going into the future a thousand years and there's something written that says Google it. And you're going, I don't know what that means. I'm just going to keep skipping by it. I'm just going to overlook it and go on because we, we don't understand what it means. But if you under, understand the manners and the customs of, of which is going on right now and you understand what's happening, it gives you a picture of the story. You see, what happened is when David faced off with Goliath, what did he call him? He called him an uncircumcised Philistine. So right now, what Saul is doing is say, hey, go ahead, try this again, because you're going to get killed. And David knew what Saul was up to and said, let me just show you how much God is on my side. I'm not going to just bring you 100. I'm going to bring you 200. Because he wasn't concerned about the enemy. Ancient war was brutal, and this was no exception. But it would be very difficult for David on the battlefield to bring back 100 Philistine heads of an army. So Saul said, okay, to prove that you've done this, here's what I want you to do, because we don't like the Philistines, because they're uncircumcised. So when he knew that when he was to do this act to the Philistines, it would shame all of them, and the ones that were left alive would spend the rest of their days coming after David because he shamed their people. So when you read these things, instead of just going, eh, oh, why is that in there? I want you to take a closer look, and I want you to try to figure out what is the Bible trying to tell me. Let's go to the next one. This is what I called this one. You call me bald, I will have you mauled by two bears. Let me read this story to you, 2 Kings chapter 2. It says, from there, Elisha went up to Bethel, and as he was walking along the road, some boys came out of the town and jeered at him. Get out of here, Baldy, they said. Get out of here, Baldy. He turned around and he looked at them and he called down a curse on them in the name of the Lord. And then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the boys. Amen. And Olin, why might that be an issue for you, Olin? Just saying. I think it might have hit a, a wound there. You see, what the story looks like at first glance is that there's just some young lads mocking a man, and he gets mad, and he calls to God, and some bears come out of the woods and rip them to shreds. Kind of seems disproportionate. Kind of seems unloving, unkind, and can give you a wrong impression if you don't really understand what's happening in the story. It is quite a strange story. Do you agree? So what's happening here, if we take a closer look, is you have the prophet Elisha who was traveling down a road. Now, Elisha, in this point of the story, had just gotten the mantle from Elijah. 
So Elijah had just gotten taken up to heaven, and Elijah passes his mantle on to Elisha, who is now in the place, and he is supposed to go and be the prophet for God and speak to the people. The problem is, is people weren't respecting him. People weren't listening to him because they're like, Elijah, we know, we don't know you. And so he comes into town with a word from God, and the city he's going to is called Bethel, which is city of God, and it's everything but that at the moment. So God sends Elisha. He said, I want you to go to this city, and I want you to preach the gospel to these people because they're going to perish if you don't. And he goes to this city, and it's supposed to be a city of God, but it's not. And they begin to mock him and say things to him. They aren't respecting the word of God. And when you don't receive the prophet who God has sent, guess who you're not receiving? You're not receiving God. And so here he is trying to to preach the gospel and they are rejecting him. They're mocking him. They're making fun of him. And it looks like on first glance that He's just kind of mean that he uses his powers in a wrong way. But really, when you go through and you understand and you break down that Hebrew word boys, it's actually a gang. There was a gang that was out for him. I mean, because it says that that the bears killed 42 of them. Now, how many of you just, and it says 42 of them, which means there were more, right? Groups that big of boys don't just hang out. This was a gang that was tormenting. Now, what happened is they were used as an example for the rest of the city. When word got out that they were mauled by bears, the rest of the city took notice. And guess what? You think they might have listened to Elisha after that? They sure did. So this was not just a random story This happened and was used in order to further the gospel because people wouldn't listen to the prophet of God. And here's the thing. If you don't respect the prophet, then you won't respect the message that he brings. And God finds that very serious. And you see the consequences. All right, the the next one, we're going to keep moving. God says you're not a... Y'all, here's another one. Y'all are going to tell my husband... God says you're not allowed in the assembly if your testicles are damaged. Anybody just skipped over that verse before? Anybody wince a little bit as you read that? Anybody ever heard that preached about in church by a woman? Welcome to Freedom House today. So what is going on here? What is happening? Let's read Deuteronomy 23.1. I want you to hear it straight from the word of God, what God said. He said, if a man's testicles are crushed or his penis is cut off, he may not be admitted to the assembly. I never thought I'd say testicles, penis, or foreskins from this platform in my life. But here you go. 
What is going on in this scripture? This random, strange scripture, should it even be in the Bible? Because those are not really things I really want to talk about. But of course, you guys had to put that on my Instagram. I love you for that. But God tells Moses, he said, listen, I am very particular about who can offer sacrifices in my house. No one with a defect is allowed. No one. And in this particular scripture, it's dealing with a particular defect. It looks like a weird, random scripture, but is it? Let's take a closer look. Leviticus was written to priests and Deuteronomy was written to lay people. And so in these books, we see in Deuteronomy, it's a farewell address that is written to the people as Moses prepares them to go into the promised land without him because Moses could not enter in. So what he is telling the people is he's like, listen, you have struggled worshiping idols when we were out here in the desert alone. You're about to go over into Canaan where they worship idols. I'm concerned about you. I'm concerned because you struggled when you were here and you weren't mixing with other people. Now you're about to go over into this other country, this country I'm asking you to take. And I'm concerned because of all the different doctrines and practices that, that you will be exposed to. I'm concerned you're going to get caught up in that again. You know, remember I went up to get the Ten Commandments and I come down and you're dancing around a golden calf. I mean, you remember that? So God is telling them, giving them, Moses is getting the download from God. And, and what he's saying is, listen, they have all kinds of practices that go on over there. These are the things I don't want coming into the house of God. One of them is they would make eunuchs out of their young children in order to control them, in order to make them submissive. And what they would do is they would put them in the palace of the king so they would have no desire other than to serve the king. It was totally against creation and what God had set in order. They were making these people intentional slaves by mutilating, mutilating them. And literally, that word there means crushing. And Moses is saying, God is not happy about that. He does not want that coming into his house. So he's giving him a warning. He's like, listen, I want people to worship me and to come in here who are freely giving of themselves. God is not interested in forcing worshipers. God doesn't want us pinned down and crushed in order to worship him. He gives us a free will. He says, choose life and death. I mean, I wish that you would choose life. But not everybody picks that. And he's saying, I'm concerned because you've been struggling out here in the wilderness. I'm concerned you're going to have some issues over here. Don't mingle with that. Here's what I don't want you to mingle with. All right, let's keep going. There's some more good stuff in the Bible. Why was Ezekiel asked to lie down on his side for one year and eat bread baked over human poo? This was one of the questions that came in. That is a really good question. Anybody ever read that in the Bible before? 
Anybody, well, most of you have, anybody think that's a really strange story and you never heard it? Okay, well, you're one or the other, either yes or no. I'm going to try this again. Have you ever heard this story? Raise your hands. Okay. It's a strange story. God tells Ezekiel um, in the memorial siege of Jerusalem, he says, I want you to build a model of the city, and then I want you to lie down on your left side for 390 days, and then on the right side for 40 days. And during this time, you're only allowed to eat bread that he baked over a fire of human poo. He was not thrilled about that. Ezekiel was quite irritated by that. Ezekiel protests at that last little bit, and so God says, okay, it can be cow poo, but go ahead. This is what I'm asking you to do. What a weird story. Strange story, but let's take a closer look. Ezekiel laid on his left side for 390 days, which is one of each year of the sin that Israel had been in. Then on his right side for 40 days, which represented the 40 years of sin that Judah's kingdom had been in. Then he was told to make bread and cook it over the manure. Now, a Hebrew, that's why I said it's important to understand the culture, they were not allowed to associate with dead things. They could not touch dead things. They could not be around dead things. And this was considered defilement. And so Ezekiel is like, why are you asking us to do this? Because a lot of the other cultures would use manure, hardened manure, as fuel to burn their fires. But it was forbidden from the Hebrews to do such a thing because they could not associate. So why does God ask him to do this? Because God says to him, I want you to understand the next phase that you're about to enter into. Uh, You are going to have to touch and come in contact with things that are not clean, that are not kosher, and you're going to eat food you never would have eaten in order to survive, and this is symbolic of what's to come. So we've got to understand what are the things that the Bible is saying. Here's another strange story. Jesus is walking down the street, and he sees this fig tree that has leaves on it. And he gets up to this fig tree to get a fig off of it, and he realizes that there is no figs on this fig tree. And so the Bible says that Jesus curses the fig tree right then and there, and it shrivels up and it dies. I mean, that's pretty strange. What did the little tree ever do to Jesus? I mean, what was the point of that? What was the purpose of that? Let's look a little deeper. Let's take things back a little bit. Most of us don't have fig trees in our yard, so let me break this down to you because a Hebrew would understand this. A Hebrew knows that fig trees are different than every other tree. Most trees, they get leaves and then they flower and then the flower turns to fruit. Not so on a fig tree. On a fig tree, the first thing that comes in is the flowers And then the fruit grows, and then the leaves come in around the fruit. Completely opposite of every other fruit-bearing tree. And if you don't cultivate and grow figs, that's something you would skip right over and you wouldn't know. But let's take that 
and put it back into the story where Jesus is walking down the street. He's hungry. He sees a fig tree in the distance, and it's got leaves on it. What might he expect if there's leaves on the tree? There should be fruit on the tree because the fruit comes in first, and then the leaves come in. So Jesus gets up on this fig tree and he's looking up under the leaves and he sees the thing has been faking. There's no fruit. Why is Jesus so angry and he curses at the fig tree and it dies? Because it's the same thing that Jesus had been dealing with with the Pharisees. They look really good from a distance. They, they, they look like, I mean, they've got their phylacteries and everything looks good on the outside. But when you get up close to them, you can see there's no fruit. They're faking. And Jesus said, this is what I'm trying to deal with right now in Israel. And that tree represented a type of Israel that Jesus cursed. And he said, this is unacceptable. And he called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. He said, yeah, you make the top, your tombstone look all great, but underneath you're nothing but dead bones. Jesus was not happy about the culture, and this was a type and a shadow of Israel. Then we see Jesus, uh, or then we see in the next one, there's a long, a long story that turns deadly. It's, it's in Acts. It's after Jesus had been raised from the dead. It's in where the New Testament church is being built. And Paul, who was Saul but is now Paul, is, is teaching. And a teenager named Eutychus is listening to him. And he's on the third story preaching at this house. And Eutychus falls out the window and breaks his neck and dies. And upon first glance, you'd think, man, I guess the whole moral is stay awake in church or you might die. <laughs> but what's the deeper story? What is, what is trying to, to come out here in this story? You see, we're going to take a closer look. We're going to figure out what, is, what is exactly is going on here. Paul was about to leave the next day, and he was, he was wanting to spend as much time with the team as possible, teaching the believers there. And before he got back on the road, he said, I'm going to give you everything I got. We're going to stay up. I'm going to download everything from God I've got before I've got to head out to the next place. And so we see this young man. This young man made some costly mistakes. And maybe you might see these mistakes in your life sometimes. What were the mistakes that this man made? Well, there's two things um, that I want us to walk away from this story with. Is the first, first notable mistake is he sat somewhere he shouldn't have. Not a good idea to sit in a three-story windowsill at a time when he should not have. Late into the night. Anybody ever sat somewhere they shouldn't have or been somewhere they shouldn't have? But you know the cool thing about God is the second half of the story is God's grace is so good that Paul went and raised him from the dead. Healed his broken neck right there on the spot. 
What is this story symbolic of? No matter how bad you mess up, no matter, sometimes we do foolish things, but God is often still there in our stupidity. All right, here, here's another one. Worst hair day ever is what I call this one. In Second Samuel, King David had a pretty-haired son, and uh, his name is Absalom. He had a, a good-looking exterior, but his interior did not match. He actually caused a lot of headaches for David. And so what Absalom did was he actually, for a season, stole the kingdom from David. And David had to fight to get the kingdom back. So when David and his army came back to fight Absalom, and Absalom was known for his just gorgeous locks of hair, every year he would go and he would get his hair cut. They would do it once a year, and they would weigh all of his hair because he was known to have the greatest Goldilocks ever. So David and his army began to pursue Absalom on one such event when they turn and they fight back. And Absalom, uh, his whole crew is being overtaken. So Absalom begins to go off on his horse and he's riding away from the battle. And they're trying to, to get Absalom. Can you, can you picture this? Can you picture like Fabio on a horse and his hair is like flopping in the background? Well, he goes underneath a patch of trees and his beautiful hair that is flying up off of the horse uh, on his back through the wind, his beautiful hair gets tangled up in the trees above him and he's dangling now, his horse rides out from underneath him and he's dangling there by his hair in the midst of a battle, just dangling. Pretty strange story. Because David's army catches up to him and they kill him. Why is that story in the Bible? It's pretty strange. Let's take a closer look. Your gift, if not kept in check, will be the very thing that trips you up. Your gift in excess actually will become your weakness. Your gift, not submitted to God, will be your downfall. And in order to, uh, to insert Jada Pinkett Smith in this, it will entangle you. <laughs> His gift entangled him, and he was annihilated. Because, see, so many people care about the external, and they forget about the internal. The gifts that God has given you, they're not just for you. All right, let's keep going. Jesus hawks a loogie. Jesus spits into a pile of dirt, makes a mud pie, and smacks it in this guy's eyes. That's pretty disgusting. And truthfully, if you understand, if you read this like a Hebrew, there is nothing more defiling you could do rather than spit. In someone's face and I mean it's not even good in our culture today but in a culture that understands honor it was one of the most defiling things that you could possibly do was to spit in somebody's face why didn't Jesus just say okay healed in my name go go on about your bad business 
Why did he spit in the ground? And you know how much spit it takes to make a little mud pie? That's a lot of spit. I mean, I'd like Jesus just to go, hey, you're healed. He doesn't do that. He makes a point of spitting. And then he spits in the ground, takes the mud, puts it in the guy's eyes, and he's like, you're healed. I mean, it would have been really great for you just to say you're healed. Why did you do that, Jesus? It's rude. It's unbecoming of you. I mean, you're supposed to be the Messiah. I'm sorry, I just checked you off the list. Do you not know in Hebrew culture what that is? Jesus, what are you thinking? Let's take a closer look. Jesus was representing what was about to happen to him. He was about to be spat upon, and he was about to get very dirty so you and I could see for eternity. And the thing that happens sometimes is that you and I get so caught up on the method, we miss the miracle. There are so many times in our lives where God is trying to do something big, and we're too busy analyzing the method. Wait, 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 wait. That's not the way. Uh-uh, uh-uh. You're not supposed to do it like that. You're breaking tradition. You're breaking customs. You're, that, that's not how it's done. Well, I used to play fast-pitch softball. And one of the things I'd love to do is I'd love to, to go to baseball games or to watch baseball on TV and I love watching because in fast pitch and in baseball, there's different pitches that the pitcher throws. He doesn't throw the same pitch all the time. You know why? To catch the batter off guard. So you won't know what's coming. Why do we think God would be any different? Why do we think that God doesn't have more than one pitch that he throws? Why do we look at things and just assume, well, God did it this way yesterday. I expect him to do it this way tomorrow. No, no, no. God wants you to learn to trust him, not to try to count on whatever pitch is going to be thrown. He wants you to trust. He wants you to trust. So let's focus on the miracle that we need in our life and not necessarily what the method is because methods don't matter. When you need a miracle, you don't care the, the method. You're just like, Jesus, I just need you right now. I don't, I don't really care any other way. I'm going to give you one more, and then I'm going to close this out. This one is uh, time for a lullaby, and it's in Judges chapter 4. And this is, uh, Deborah is a prophetess, and the Israelite army drove Sisera out of uh, his country. Um, he was a Canaanite general drove him out. They were trying to get him because he was the head of the army and they could not catch him for anything. He escaped and he went to an area where he thought he would be safe, where he would, you know, be with an ally army. And he comes up to this one tent and a woman who is in this tent named JL said, sure, come on in. While he is sleeping, well, she gives him some warm milk. He, he, he lullabies himself to sleep and then while he's sleeping, she takes a tent peg and drives it through his head. That's a strange story. Fixes him milk, 
gets him sleepy, drives a tent peg through his head. Why'd she do that? What's wrong with her? Do you know, there's no way JL woke up that day and saying, God's going to use me to help deliver Israel's army. Me and my tent. I'm just hanging out here. But see, JL saw evil in the face. She looked face to face with evil. And she decided that there was nothing that she wasn't going to do that she couldn't do to stop it. She didn't have weapons in her tent. She didn't have a sword. She wasn't a trained military commander like he was. Didn't even look like it was much of a battle, right? If you're going to put a housewife up against a, a commander of an army. But she saw evil. And she knew she had to do whatever she could to stop it. What did she have in her hand at the moment? She had some warm milk. Doesn't seem like much. It's amazing sometimes the things that we have that we don't think are that big of a deal, but when they're surrendered to God, what they can do. She uses that milk and she lulls him to sleep. And then the tent that she's in, she goes and pulls over one of the pegs and defeats Sesera by pounding the tent peg through his head when he's asleep. In a time where women weren't even supposed to have a name for anything, this woman was known for defeating the entire army because she took out its general. That's a pretty big deal. Strange story. Strange ending, especially when it started going around that a woman had done this. A woman defeated the army. There's no way she woke up going, hey, I'm gonna take out a, an evil army today. There's no way. But she was in the moment. She knew what she was supposed to do and she used what was in her hand. Would you stand on your feet with me today? I think all of us could ask ourselves this question. It's been a strange year. Some strange stories have happened this year. And maybe not even this year for you in particular, maybe you just look back through your life and you're just trying to understand why things even happened. As I was reading, well, why did this happen in the Bible? Or why did that happen? Or why, why did this make it in there? Many of us are asking that about our story. Why did this happen to me? Why was I put in this position? Why was I in this place? Could I ask you to take a deeper look like we did today? Begin to ask God, what things about your story is he looking to use? Maybe you've gone through abuse. That happened to me, physical, sexual, emotional, mental, my whole childhood. 
for a long time I asked God why. Why did this happen? Was it my fault? It wasn't anything I had done. But you know what I can tell you? When I look back on that, as wrong as all of it was, that's the person that you see standing here today is because I took my story and I used it. Whatever is in your hand, use it. You see, it's only a waste. What happened to me is only a waste if I don't do something with it. What has hurt you? What has caused you pain? What has made you question your story? What might God wanna do despite it all? What might God be saying to you today? You see, I had to learn to stop asking God why and start asking him what. I don't know why it happened, but what can I do about what happened? Would you close your eyes with me? Today, if you would say, you know, it's been a pretty strange year. Had some strange moments, but I'm gonna submit those to God today. I'm gonna look for some deeper meaning and really start having some conversations with God. If you would commit to do that today, would you just, people's eyes are closed, their heads are bowed, and I know you're watching online as well. Would you just lift your hand up if you say, hey, I'm gonna commit to start to find Just find something in the chaos. There's gotta be something God is trying to say to me. There's gotta be something in this. There's gotta be something in this story that that I can find a deeper meaning of, of why this has happened, God, what can I do with it? And there's a second group here that I would just like to talk to. Those of you who say, you know what? The first step I need to do is I need a fresh start. I'm not even serving God right now, or maybe I was and I've turned back. If that's you today, I wanna give you an opportunity for a fresh start, a do-over, to hit the reset button. Whether you're online, whether you're in here, everybody's eyes are closed, heads are bowed. If you're in here today and you say, man, I just need a fresh start, I need a do-over, like I just, I need to begin again. If that is you, just lift your hand up. You can just do it real quick. Just lift your hand up and put it down and you're just saying, man, I'm I'm hitting reset. It's been a lot of crazy going on. I've had things happening in my life. I just need a reset right now. I just need a reset. Thank you, Jesus. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna pray over everyone that's watching and everyone in the room, we're all gonna say this together. Just say it loud so you can hear yourself say it. Say, Heavenly Father, we come before you and we declare that you are God. No matter what we've walked through, no matter what hurts, no matter what pain, no matter what strange stories, you will prevail. You are still on the throne. No matter what I walk through, And I am looking for the meaning in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. 
If you enjoyed this message, we encourage you to spread the word. Share with your friends and family on social media and make sure you subscribe to hear a new message every week. Really love the message? Well, we want to hear from you. Make sure to leave us a review below. Want more Freedom House content? Follow us on Instagram at Freedom House and subscribe to Freedom House Church on YouTube. We hope you are equipped to experience all that God has for you this week, and we'll see you for our next Freedom House Church weekend message.